Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that we've been lucky enough to implement here for over two years now. The product in and of itself is exactly what you need it to be, guys, with options ranging from being a workout provider, as in sending the workout directly to the student-athlete's phones, to being a place where you can communicate with them and bring together multiple streams of data to be its own dashboard for you, your coaching staff, or the athletes. Or you can use what we've added to our, our menu of Coach Me Plus activities, and that's Hydration Station, where all of this information that is provided is based off of research from the Corey Stringer Institute, where we're looking at weighing in versus weighing out and then providing optimal hydration uh, strategies for the student-athletes by them selecting through the menu and tapping on what they'll take home with them and what they're consuming prior to the next practice um, when all the numbers at the top are lined up green. It's something we've had really good success with and the kids have really bought in on. Just another great example of the awesome product that you can find at coachmeplus.com. Guys, hop over to coachmeplus.com today and check it out. It's a product I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hey everybody, if you enjoy the podcast and the content it provides, be sure to hop over and check out the community. The community is an exclusive members website that is just an extension of what we do here in July at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar. What it is is a combination of video lectures, a coach's corner with your Monday morning take-home information, and a forum where you can talk about anything and everything related to the field of strength and conditioning. In the community, you'll find content added each month from some of the top practitioners in the world ranging from PhDs to high-level coaches, bringing you exactly what they're doing with their athletes or their research at the present moment. On top of that, an additional discussion by coaches bringing you that Monday morning information, things that you can add to your training program right away. Tying that in with the opportunity to discuss with coaches around the world in the forum on anything and everything from the topics addressed in these presentations to whatever you're seeing in your daily life as a coach. If this sounds like the right thing for you and your staff, Go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com slash community and try it out for 48 hours for just a dollar. If you like it, you're signed up, ready to roll, and you're jumping into all the great content added each month. If not, feel free to go ahead and cancel at any time. No questions asked. We're really excited about what we're building in the community and hope you are too. Go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com slash community and check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming back 2017 presenter Brett Bartholomew to the podcast. Guys, we are going to talk a little bit about this tug of war between the art and the science of coaching. Uh, We're going to get into catching up with Brett, seeing where he's been, what he's been up to, and then we're going to start talking training. We're going to start talking about better ways we can handle our athletes, better ways we can teach our athletes and even get into some ways that Brett is using these methods and different motor learning and communication skills to better improve the athletes he's working in right now. As always, guys, when you're talking with Brett, there's going to be some great scientific backing and anecdotal examples to everything going on. So this is an absolutely killer talk. And then we finish off, guys, talking about Bought In, you know, his, his new course that he's got out there right now, which I can't wait to to get into and dive into. It's absolutely an exciting time to to be around the guy because he's got a lot of great things going on 
This is an absolutely fantastic talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Brett, thanks for coming back on the show with us, bud. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So listen, it's it's been a minute. Let's catch people up with what is going on with Brett, where we are, and uh, what's this new project you're building? Yeah, well, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia now. My wife and I moved here in April of last year. Um, and, and this time of year is, is kind of thick with the NFL guys. So I have a good group of guys back training for the off season, which is always my favorite time of the year, you know? And so you're back in the, the thick of all the banter and everything else and being on the East coast really for the first time in my life, it's good because I'm working with some guys I haven't worked with before blended with some guys that, you know, have been with me for the past six, seven, eight years, uh, when I was in Phoenix or LA. Um, so in the thick of coaching this time of year, I don't travel all that much. Um, but the biggest news is probably I'm following up the book with an online course. Uh, the online course comes out March 7th. It's called Bought In. And uh, part of another thing that I'm doing outside of coaching is I'm an adjunct professor for Maryville University. So I took what was a 16-week curriculum, academic curriculum there, and tried to create a resource that could be expanded for you know more of a wider population, people that maybe don't have access to being able to take online college courses and at a lot better price point, frankly, um, to make it more accessible to people because the university usually controls all that, as you know. So taking this course and making a five-week course that's half uh, science and theory, and then the other half is applied. And it's all just really centered around coach education, coach development, primarily around the art of coaching and the science behind, you know, just how behavioral economics and influence and persuasion and behavior change in general uh, feeds into what we do on a daily basis. So then how will this piggyback off conscious coaching? Yeah, so conscious coaching was more of an introductory handshake. It was just saying, hey, you know, I think we've made a lot of strides in terms of, you know, our training knowledge and, of course, the great scientific innovations that we've had from, from a tech standpoint, uh, but that I think we need to extend this conversation to behavioral analysis as well. And I think sometimes that message has gotten lost, perhaps by people that didn't read the book or maybe didn't read it closely. You know, the book isn't about warm, fuzzy relationships, be there for your athletes, look them in the eye. Sure, like trust is an element of what we do, but it's more about understanding why people behave the way they do, being able to pick up on certain behavioral cues and knowing how to periodize for people, so to speak, right? We have all these strategies if we want to have hypertrophic changes or neuromuscular changes of any kind, but how do we do that with conflict resolution? How do we enhance our teaching? Um, and it's not about getting somebody to do something. It's about making sure they do that with full engagement. Because we all know, like the majority of people listening, like their athletes don't get a choice, right? You have to come in, mandatory workouts. I mean, sure, they could skip, but there's going to be repercussions. But it's about getting them to come in and put forth the same effort that us as strength coaches would do if we train. Because mm -hmm. it's one thing to have a prescription on the card. It's another thing to make sure your athletes are doing it, you know, at the intensity that and, and uh, level of focus that they need to do it in. No, a hundred percent. It's, it's something that's helped me with my guys quite a bit, you know, understanding and taking a step back and, and being able to, first of all, the, the reality of basketball players don't like to lift as much as a five foot nine, 215 pound guy. Um, imagine that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then being able to like point to the archetypes and being like, oh, well, this guy, so we should probably move in this direction. Yeah, well, and it's just like, it's picking up things like, 
think of what already engages athletes today, right? So many of them are hooked to their phones. They love these apps that if they play a certain, just a little bit longer, they get a power up, they get an upgrade. Uh, there's all these little things that influence them. Like velocity-based training is a good example, right? That gives an athlete uh, a, a score, so to speak. And it's like, hey, this is where you're at. Try to beat it, move it faster, or move it. You know, we need to add weight, what have you. That's, that's just a simple example. You know, another example is just changing the way you frame up drills and activities. You know, I have a guy right now that has had three ACL issues in his NFL career, three, and he's going into his seventh season. Now, he came in the other day kind of bragging that he hadn't had to lift much over, you know, 300 pounds his entire pro career because, quote unquote, he gets to do what he wants with his team. You know, and like there's some guys that think that's cool. They're not really into lifting. Trying to get that guy to understand the possible correlation between, and I don't think you have to say possible correlation, but being strong and ACL injury reduction, you can't ever say prevention in our field, but at least management is a big piece. So it was like sitting down with this guy after training one day and as we were walking to the car and just making sure he could connect those dots as a small behavioral intervention. So the course builds off the book in a number of ways. One, it goes a lot more deep, uh, deeply into just the science of behavioral economics um, it takes a lot of the presentations I've given over the past six years and kind of weaves them together in a common narrative. So uh, we look at all the behavioral outcomes we want to achieve as coaches. And, you know, on the other end of the spectrum are, or the other end of that graph, so to speak, and there's a visual that comes with the course, is the communication and influence tactics we choose. Kind of no different than the physiological adaptations we want, right? And then you consider all the logistics and then the outcomes we want to achieve. Only here, the logistics aren't like the amount of equipment that you have or the time that you have. I mean, that's a part of it. But this is more drives. So what goes into neuroscience of desire, behavior, uh, perception, all these things that, uh, you know, go into really leading the conscious decisions and faulty decisions and heuristics, you know, we use to make those decisions every day. The other piece is environmental. So the physical environment the perceptual environment, like not every athlete likes the weight room, right? Like, and us just like screaming at them or whatever, isn't going to make them like the weight room. Um, also if somebody doesn't like lifting, just like thinking that they're soft and they don't want to work is kind of a cop out. It's your job to alter that guy's behavior and perception so that he understands the benefit of your program, you know, and, and that is influence and manipulation and change psychology. Those aren't, those aren't bad words. You have guys like Robert Cialdini that's been talking about this stuff since the 1970s at Arizona State. And then finally are the social agents. So like what role do peers, social media, uh, even parents, all these play in terms of the athlete's perception? So how we can take all this information and again, kind of put a periodization scheme together for how we deal with behavior and not only with our athletes, but with sport coaches and colleagues as well. No, yeah. And I think that a lot of those words, just like in the book, are, are terms that most of us would look at and, and kind of shy away from. But the, the real reality of the situation is like, that's actually what it is. Sure. Oh, no question. And I think a lot of, I think there's people that, again, they've gotten, you know, when, when a topic starts getting discussed, people can kind of take it and run with it. And one thing I've seen since the book is released and it's cool because you want people to talk about it, you know, but now a lot of people have started talking again about like, uh, your athletes don't know, you know, what you don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You're out. And all that stuff is true, but that's not the core of what we're talking about. We're talking about formalizing the behavioral part of coaching, at least starting a foundation for better understanding of that. No different than we'd understand physiological underpinnings of why we choose certain exercises and, and methods. And it's important to make that clear because, as you know, there's so many books out there right now talking about, quote unquote, culture 
and, you know, all these different kinds of buzzwords that, I mean, the reality is, is some people are going to see my name on your podcast and probably not even listen if they haven't read the book or seen the stuff and, and understand that that's not what we're talking about here. But we've got to dive more deeply into it because, Jay, like what formal education have you ever had on change psychology, uh, behavioral science, even the neuroscience of decision making and all those pieces? None. Right. Zero. And so like this, this resource, I'm not sitting here saying, hey, this is a one stop shop. It's the best thing ever. No way. Like I'm hoping to spark a conversation and I hope five, 10, 15 different strength coaches jump on board and start doing stuff way better than the stuff that I'm doing. I'm just trying to say, hey, let's not ignore this and let's give it its proper due because coach development and education is incomplete without it. Oh, 100 percent. Now, do you think that that's probably the most common misconception that people have? about this quote soft science is that it's really just like the oh I love you and I, everything's great when really that's not what we're talking about I think so I mean because again you know who's told them any different you know we're, we're brought up to think that training is there's a difference between and I talk about this in the course there's a difference between things that are complicated and complex right like complicated mm -hmm. is things like trying to figure out the next solar eclipse or building a Toyota Camry those things are hard but with the application of an algorithm, we can figure that out, right? Complex is like economics or the weather. Like if I ask any coach that's listening right now what the price of oil would be next year, there's no way they're going to be able to forecast that because it's not only dependent on what's going on in the Middle East. It depends on what's going on with exchange rates of currency all across the globe. What's going on? Is there a hurricane in this ocean? Do we need to divert trade routes, all that? Same thing with the weather, right? A nor'easter at the time we're recording this is about to slam the East Coast. Like, could they have predicted this seven months ago? I don't think so, you know? Otherwise, you know, like, you see that all the time with the weather. We see things just pop up and change course and change direction. My point is, is training, and this isn't training versus the art of coaching, training is complicated. Without a doubt, it's hard stuff. But if we start understanding the foundations of what elicits a certain adaptation, by and large, as long as we operate within that menu and our athletes get some sleep and nutrition, they're going to derive those adaptations, right? Interpersonal communication and relationships are complex. If that wasn't the case, guys like Richard Thaler and Daniel Kahneman wouldn't win Nobel prizes in behavioral economics. Like you don't get a you don't get a Nobel prize for things that are easy to study. And that was kind of another misconception. There was a coach, great coach, great guy. We were having a, a like um, a constructive discussion. He just said, "I think people are gravitating towards art of coaching stuff because the training part is hard." And, and I said, well, you know, to find what you mean by that. And he goes, well, physiology and biomechanics is hard. Figuring out uh, what we can do for advanced tendinopathies is hard. You know, I don't view communication as that hard. And I said, well, listen, man, there's behavioral science, psychology, sociology departments, psychology departments at every major university across the globe in which I think a lot of their professors would argue that that's not true. You know, you look at divorce rates, you look at any of those things like the relationships between individuals are very, very complex and multifactorial. And not only that, Jay, I think another reason is people don't look at this research, right? They look at the NSCA articles, which is great, but how many of them open up the Journal of Applied Psychology? How many of them look at coaching journals? How many of them look at, you know, coach education? There's so much great research out there that people aren't looking at from the coaching side. And the course will provide that. If people love the kind of references pieces, I think we have over a hundred references that people can go and do a deeper dive in on their own when the course releases. No. And I think that first of all, him communicating to you in that manner in and of itself proves 
that he's incorrect. <laughs> yeah, this idea where people think that, like, you know, if communication was easy, then why do so many misunderstandings occur? You know, it's not as simple as, and listen, this is the other reason I think it's a misunderstanding. Uh, name some of the books that you got on this stuff when you first started coaching, right? They were by, and I'm not, I'm not insulting these authors, they're great, but they're the Frosty Westering the books, books, they're the Dale Carnegie's. They're, they're a lot of the books that, you know, John Maxwell, like those are what we're given. And so people think that that covers the relationship piece. They think that seven habits of highly effective people and how to win friends and influence people and all that covers the influence piece. That's a start. Those are definitely valuable. Those guys, I mean, Dale Carnegie's book is timeless, right? But that's not the science of human behavior. Those are just some tenets, right? They're hallmark things, such as you should remember somebody's name. You should look at that. That doesn't go into how to deal with the athlete from Miami-Dade County who saw one of his parents shot in front of him. Or that doesn't handle the kid from rural Iowa who, you know what I mean? Everybody's got their own baggage that they carry with them. And your job isn't to play psychologist and get outside your scope of practice, but it is your job to be an orchestrator. It is your job to take all these different personas and personalities, lead them effectively by kind of bringing a common vision, and then knowing how to influence their behavior. I mean, doesn't remember Buddy Morris talked about that a long, long time ago as a strength coach. And I don't know if it was his quote or somebody else's. Your job is to, you know, manage stress and influence behavior and alter behavior. And that's a part of it. We just haven't done the altering behavior part. No, 100%. And I think that, too, like, another misconception is how that all ties in together with, like, the Carnegie stuff and the, the caring about your athlete stuff. Because when they understand that you can identify with them and you can get on their level not that's not what it means but you know what i mean by that yeah. like of course they're going to pour in more because you're you're working for them you're giving them what they need and like how long have you been coaching you 15 years okay how many athletes have you seen that come in and do their car do their workout if you're paperless whatever like just do the program but like you know they left a lot in the tank oh yeah right like that's the argument here so what i find is that when contrarians are like oh I don't need my guys to, you know, learn this. Like our athletes do as they're told or our athletes don't have a choice or our, like what I've found is strength coaches will find whatever reason they can to like not alter what they're doing. And so sometimes we're hypocritical, right? We say we're lifelong learners, but we shun one whole part of the research, you know, and then this isn't about getting them to do it. It's about like, if you, me and four other strength coaches were to train today, like we would get after it. We'd have some fun, but we'd get out like we enjoy strain, right? Mm -hmm. Not all these athletes do. And it's not your job to necessarily make them enjoy that, but it is your job to help them see the purpose in it so that we can drive a utilitarian outcome. Another part that the course talks about is this myth of like the coaching, the perfect coaching style. So warmth and empathy, like a lot of that stuff is just really bullshit. You know, it's got its place for sure. Like there's got to be parts of that that are in your persona, but you know, traits such as Machiavellianism, even subclinical traits of narcissism, right? We talked about this when I was at CVASPs and they show that even some coaches, you look at Alex Ferguson for Manchester United, right? One of the most famous coaches mm -hmm. of any sport, uh, you know, ranked high on traits of psychopathy, you know, psychopathic behavior. And so that's, you know, I, I give some snippets from my presentation on that, what they call the dark-sided leadership traits uh, in the course. But it just says like coaches shouldn't just come up and let's say they learn under you, right? They shouldn't just start to think, that's the way I need to coach. Or if they learn under me, that's the way I need to coach. They need to understand that it's got to be flexible and adaptive. Like your coaching style has to be as adaptable as your programming. If not, 
then you're not fulfilling the role of a strength and conditioning coach. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because it, I think that like the biggest misconception too, is that whole idea of like, well, they come in and do what they're told. Well then are they learning anything or are they just going through the motions? So some, you know, short guy with a shaved head and a beard stops cussing me out. And, 100%. and I think my first experience with that, like really at a higher level is when I left the collegiate setting and then started working with more pros and even little kids, like both ends of the spectrum, you know, I'd work with pro guys in the morning and military and what have you in the private sector. And then I'd have little squirts, you know, in the afternoon and realizing that I had to be socially adaptable because I couldn't come to my little squirts after yelling at a bunch of, you know, Marines that had been deployed X amount of times or when I was 25 and trying to impress a bunch of NFL guys with my jargon and they look at me like I'm an idiot when in reality I was doing it because I felt insecure that I was 25. I didn't want them to like think that I was too young to be able to know what I was doing, you know? And so like I, I, I tried to make, Hey, this is your program. And six weeks from now we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And they're like, dude, like, can we lift, you know, like, can we get into this? And so I think there's just a lot of that, that, you know, coaches love their jargon. You know, you look at some old interviews or you look at current interviews and somebody goes, you know, explain your philosophy, Jay. And people just black out and go rain, man. And they're like, well, the bioenergetic philosophy of the intercellular, you know, and they just start going. You're like, man, it doesn't have to be that complicated. You know, like, are you are you trying to impress each other? Or are you trying to impress who? Because your athletes don't give a shit. Like write a good program. Get like you said, get on their level to a degree. Right. It's, it's maintaining ethical boundaries, but like letting them know that you know how to play chess, not checkers, mm-hmm. you know, and and. And that you're going to get this going no matter what is huge. And that's what, and so, you know, that's one part of it. Now the course talks about how to actually apply that. Like, what do you do, uh, you know, when you're dealing with a difficult athlete or a difficult administrator, what do you do when you're dealing, how, what's the difference between working with male and female athletes? How do you sell athletes on the fundamentals? Because so many of them are on Instagram now thinking that they need to do crazy stuff that they see some guy in Zimbabwe doing, you know, or out in LA and how do you keep them focused? Like that's the piece because coaches, no matter what we want to complain about, our athletes are always going to perceive the out of town guy as the expert. Mm-hmm. Somebody that's not us is always the expert, right? Like in the collegiate setting, it's always, well, I heard the University of Florida does this, or they're doing this at Nebraska, or they're doing this over at USC. And it's like, yeah, man, I guarantee if we called them that they're doing 90% of the same things we're doing, you know? Uh-huh. Well, you know, that's like what, you know, Buddy's been quoted in saying that as well, like, the best program is the one that you're not doing, you know, to your yeah. athletes. But I think that um, I, I think that the, the other thing you touched upon there, when it came to jargon and us communicating, it, it still comes back to relating with and then understanding who your audience is. Yeah, oh, hundred percent. And I think that that's something that we do miss the boat on quite a bit. You know, like. When we, when we talked, you know, about your presentation for the community and you were talking about your philosophy, that's why I started laughing a little bit. It's uh, my soccer coach in high school. Well, I don't know if Coach Busani listens to this or not, but Boost Man, if you do, shout out. Um, had, had it, our, our team mantra was as simple as this. It was just do what the game demands. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, and why is that not, like, how we talk about it? Like, and I, I get it. Like there are some people who, for whatever reason, enjoy using extensive vernacular in order to make themselves look superior. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we have an insecure field. And mm-hmm. I think anybody that's listening, if they were being honest, would admit that. I guess I shouldn't be a, you know, presumptuous and say anybody. But, you know, it doesn't take much after you, you've done this for 10 plus years, like to know that we on the whole, we do have an insecure field. I mean, we had a generation of, of coaches that God bless them for all the good that they've done. They've led us to a great spot. But, you know, it's it's not it's not foreign to hear a lot of stories about backstabbing, undercutting all this stuff to get jobs. Right. And so then what you have is a younger generation that learned to do it the same way, even if that environment's not the same. And that's just a repetition of history. I mean, look at different cultures throughout history. Right. There are some that have been fighting wars for millennia just because that's what everybody else has always done, even though the sociopolitical landscape has adjusted. And so that's a part of the course, too, is talking about the micro politics um, and micro politics is just a fancy way of saying, like, if you look at macro politics, that's like the government, right? The highest level, bigger pol- micro politics are more like the power games and struggles between individuals and even smaller organizations. So you look at research at how people, how organizational behavior fits into managing egos and all these different things. So that's a part of the course. How do you deal with manipulative personalities yourself, both on the athlete side and coworkers? I mean, a lot of us have worked with people that haven't been the, you know, we preach team to our athletes, but, you know, internally we don't, we don't have that kind of a, a dynamic, right? So there's a lot of pieces to that. And then, you know, applying them is another piece because I think it's easy to get on. And this is why I'm not really on Twitter as much anymore. I mean, I get on every now and then to check it and make sure that, you know, I respond to people, but, you know, Instagram, if you're going to get on social media has been such a powerful medium because you can show what you're talking about as opposed to just launching a sound bite out there. You know, I think we've had a lot of coaches that they put something out there and everybody sees it. And then if some people see it's popular, everybody starts jumping on that and then they wear out a topic. Well, that doesn't teach you anything. That just kind of throws, it's like throwing meat to dogs, right? It gets them all riled up. Like Instagram, you have to actually kind of show a picture or a visual representation or some kind of imagery that kind of brings more context to what you're talking about. You know, and so like I didn't want to get on Instagram for the longest time, but where are my athletes? Instagram, you know, so when I first started creating an account, I just observe. I try to follow different accounts. My athletes followed, see what they're doing, because this hits on your point. We're not very good observers. Coaches fall into the Dunning-Kruger effect a lot. We think that they're always the issue or somebody else is the issue. You know, coaches would benefit and, and I'm included in this, right? Like thinking a little bit more like Sherlock Holmes, like shut up and just observe. Like quit trying to like, you know, see what your athletes are looking at. Try to, like you said, get to know your audience and that will help you guide what you're saying a little bit better. I mean, that's a part of the book. I think most people skipped over because they wanted to get to the archetypes. In the book, I talk about research, relate and reframe, just three R's. And I made it kind of trite and, you know, a stupid acronym because the reality is those things stick Mm -hmm. and research is getting to know your athlete, what they watch, what they do, all this stuff you know, what they like, why they don't like it, who their favorite coach was. I put together a whole personality profile of this. Relate, give them information about you. You know, an athlete's not going to open up to you in any way, shape or form beyond a certain point if you're just always extracting information or they're just going to tell you the shit you want to hear. You know, and most coaches don't understand that. Like most most athletes are smart. They're a lot smarter than you think they are. And they're going to tell you what you want to hear and give you socially desirable kind of answers. You know, but if you relate and you give them some insight as to like, hey, what, you know, maybe when you were an athlete, what you saw here, you relate to some other aspect. Like my guys were doing um, three position split squat ISO holds yesterday, 20 seconds, slightly above parallel, 20 seconds at parallel and 20 seconds below. 
just working on some basic isometric strength, tissue tolerance, foundational kind of position stability-based qualities in the early offseason, those suck. And I let my athletes, I'm like, guys, listen, I know these blow. I'm doing them right now too. Like just sometimes dropping that persona like can make you a little bit more relatable, which matters because there's not a great leader without like in history of anything that wasn't viewed as relatable to some extent. Like, if, you know, you've got to be, and then the last piece is refrain. So now if you can take what you know about them and you can take, you know, some of the information you gave them as well, and you know, kind of where their drives and desires meet your drives and desires. Now you can reframe everything into that unified vision. And listen, it's easier for some people than it is others. No doubt. No doubt that kind of this art of coalescing the two and creating a vision and more importantly, describing that is easier for some, just like I hate advanced mathematics, you know, aside from like programming and the physics of what we do, I would never, ever, ever want to take a differential equations course. Some guys, that's all they see is numbers. God bless them. But just because you're not good at something doesn't mean you shouldn't strive to learn it. So guys that say, well, I think the art of coaching, some people are just born with it. Piss off. Like you're going to communicate with people the rest of your career. It's worth learning about. Well, your life, like period. Yeah, right. Yeah, your life, no doubt. So until we start working on or working with Toyota Camrys, and I mean, you see it, there's people that just don't look, they'll give an athlete feedback without looking up from their iPad, you know? So here's the last thing I'll say on this kind of like piece though. And you and I have talked a lot about it offline. The other thing that's important is people have to quit making this. If you're talking about the art of coaching, you're against the science of training. And if you're, you know, in the science of training, like these two are inseparable. They're inextricably linked. Talking about one does not mitigate the importance of the other and vice versa. So I say that because again, like, and this is just social media world, you see people start to spin a narrative that they're uncomfortable with to suit some kind of desire of their own. So if they don't like a topic, they'll try to say all this talk of the art of coaching, let's get back to basics and focus on training. And it's like, let's not make more dividing lines, right? Like we have a lot, like it's both shut up. You can have back squats and know how to communicate. Let's not be one dimensional knuckle draggers here, you know? No, a hundred percent. I mean, and then the, the third leg of all of this is just motor learning and how you're actually going to teach the stuff, which I think is another thing that, you know, we, we all talk about how we want to get, you know, cues and these things and that thing and the other thing. But like, if you don't know how people learn specifically, like those specific individuals, and it doesn't matter how you cue them, because if it doesn't sink in, it's, it's a waste of damn time. Well, to your point exactly on that. So my master's thesis was on attentional focus when I wrote it back in 2009. And that was what made me want to dive more deeply because, yeah, cool, like cues. But why are people receptive to metaphors, analogies and outcome oriented? And that made me study. All right. Now I want to dive into human behavior. Now I want to look at perception. Now I want to look at learning. Yeah. So, you know, the art of coaching is is that piece of it, too. Like motor learning is under the art of coaching, you know, like. You see how you design drills, how you design your practice sessions. I've even gone back now and for the past few years, you know, I, I used to go out on the field and I'd say, all right, guys, today's an acceleration day. This is what we're going to do. Boom, 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 boom. Kind of that linear or, or serial sequence kind of session, right? And then at the end, you assume we ticked off all those boxes. Hopefully we got better today. Well, what I started doing is going back kind of do a random practice or even whole part, whole method where I'll bring the guys out all actually after warming them up start with the drill that we are going to do at the end. And I'll give them basic instruction, very little other than just how to go through it. And I'll watch them. I'll say 75 to 80% guys go through this drill. You know, we're going to go through it three times, pick up your effort each time. 
and I'll watch their cuts, their transitions, their decels, all this. Now, based off what I'm seeing, I have a menu of everything else we're going to do that day. If their shuffles look good, okay, I'm going to spend a little less time on that and maybe a little bit more on crossover. If their crossovers and shuffles look good, all right, what can we do working on lower center of gravity or maybe reacceleration out of a cut? The, it's like you and I could go out to lunch, and even if it's a favorite spot, we might have to decide between two or three different sandwiches. Like coaches can't come out with a cereal program and say, just because I did these things, I know my guys learned it. Not the case. Whole part whole see what they do, break it up into constituent parts, randomize it a little bit, bring it back together at the end and see how it's changed. Test, mm -hmm. retest. Yeah. That's how Even if it's subjective, it. you, I mean, you as a coach, like if you're going to downplay subjective analysis of you being able to see an athlete hit the line, drop your center of gravity, maintain perfect posture, then I like, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Well, Brett, let's, let's end it on this brother. Where do we got to yeah. go to get oh, more sorry, on I know it? I black out there and start going, so I appreciate it. <laughs> where, where do people got to go to find out more about this, signing up, getting in the newsletter, and being active with it? Just artofcoaching.com. We tried to make it really simple. It's not theartofcoaching.com, just artofcoaching.com. Course opens March 7th. It closes on the 12th, so this isn't some big like grab. We're trying to keep it to be a, a small cohort because we're going to do a lot of follow-ups. We're going to do a lot of surveys. There's going to be a Facebook group where people can interact. We want this to be a community, uh, kind of like the great thing that you've been doing. It will open again sometime in the future. But right now, this is the only planned launch, March 7th through the 12th, artofcoaching.com. Or if you're a cell phone guy, uh, you can just type in my name. So it's Brett, B-R-E-T-T, B as in boy. And you'll text that to the phone number 44222. And that will sign you up as well. Yep. And there'll be a link below for everybody. Uh, couldn't recommend it enough. Really excited to be a part of it and checking it out. Brett, thanks for your time, homie. This is awesome. And uh, we'll thanks get this up and rocking and rolling, brother. All right. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, man. We'll be in touch soon. Yep. And a huge thanks to Brett Bartholomew for taking the time with us today. Guys, again, you know, Brett just laying it out there. No, you know, doesn't hold any punches and just shares open, honestly, and candid with us. I, I can't thank Brett enough for the time. You know, to sit down and talk with us today. And, and, I, and I'm really excited, guys. Really excited to, to dive into Bought In. If it's something you're interested in, guys, go ahead. Click the link in the notes. It's something that I, I really think is going to provide some amazing value to the profession. So go ahead, sign up for that newsletter and check it out. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. If there's someone you know that can take something directly from this talk, Go ahead, slide it in the DMs, tag them on the post, whatever it may be. Again, we're just trying to get the best information possible out to all the great coaches out there. As always, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.